Welcome to the Stay Healthy El Paso podcast, where we help El Pasoans get away from taking pain medications, avoid getting injections, avoid surgery, and keeping up an active lifestyle. This podcast is presented to you by Dr. David Midoff, expert physical therapist and owner of El Paso Manual Physical Therapy. It is our goal and intentions to provide you with valuable tips and insights from experts in the El Paso area so you too can stay healthy, fit, and energized. Now here is your host, Dr. David. Hey, El Paso. Welcome to the Stay Healthy El Paso podcast. My name is Dr. David Midoff, physical therapist. I'm the owner of El Paso Manual Physical Therapy. I wanted to talk to you today about meniscus tears. We've had lots of clients in the clinic over the past few weeks coming in with knee problems, and um, they specifically have meniscus involvement. Um, Now, I'm going to use a bunch of different words talking about the meniscus, and, and I'll try my best to make sure I delineate the differences between them all. So when I say meniscal involvement, for example, that's just anything, any problem related to the meniscus because there's different types of ways that the meniscus can get injured, which we'll go into, Um, but just follow me here. And in case you're having trouble following all the different terms, don't worry. This is, I'm, I'm trying to make this as simple as possible for people that are not in the medical field and may not understand medical terms. Um, But I'll have to use a term every now and then just to make sure that I'm communicating clearly. I encourage you to go Google stuff and go look it up and, you know, type in the word that I'm saying here. But like I said, I'm going to explain it as clearly as possible. So I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about meniscal tears. If you've got one right now, um, you're going to probably find yourself in some of these symptoms that I'm going to talk about, some of the issues that are surrounding meniscal tears and, and treating them. And um, and if you have never learned about a meniscal tear, let me just start with answering the question of what is the meniscus? I get asked this all the time. Now, a meniscus is a chunk of cartilage that sits between your thigh bone and your shin bone. So it's in your knee and you have two in each knee. You have a pair in each knee and the the pair is differentiated by uh, the inside one and the outside one. In the medical field, they call it the medial meniscus. That's the inside one and the lateral meniscus. That's the outside one. Now, the job of these two chunks of cartilage in each of your knees is to cushion the thigh bone on the shin bone and make sure that movement happens normally in the knee. Because if you ever look at the structure of the bones in the knee, they they don't really sit on each other perfectly well. Well, the meniscus helps to, to fix that problem. It develops what's called congruency because the meniscus are kind of cup shaped. So they allow the end of the thigh bone to settle onto the, the top of the the shin bone, the tibia. Now, the main job, like I said, is to cushion the femur on onto the tibia, the thigh bone onto the shin bone. Um, and of course, what's above the thigh bone while well, the rest of your body, your, your hips, your torso, head and arms. And um, the because it's supposed to cushion it, it acts a lot like a disc in a spine. If you think of the of your spine or somebody's spine, there's chunks of cartilage between each of the bones in the spine, and their job is to is to absorb forces and cushion everything else above and below it and, and allow, allow certain movement to happen. So that's the meniscus. Now, the next question I usually get from people coming in for treatment is, why does the meniscus tear? Why is my meniscus torn? How did it happen? You know, some people have an accident, maybe playing sports growing up they were they were playing soccer or football or volleyball basketball one of those and they had a knee injury that kind of went undiagnosed you know they got better from it they never felt like they had to go to the doctor but they've never quite been the same from that injury either and they tend to avoid exercises that aggravate it um so they just they just kind of been babying it essentially for for decades um, now you do have some more extreme injuries where where you know, playing those same sports or something similar or car accidents or other accidents 
Um, people blow up their knee, they tear it. They, they tear the meniscus, they tear the ACL, other structures in the knee, and they might end up having an operation afterwards because it was a massive injury. So those people can also end up with some meniscal injury later on in life. Um, and then there's another group of people that never had a sports injury growing up, never really had any injuries whatsoever. And then they get to middle age, you know, they're in their 50s, 60s, maybe a little older than that. And they start having knee problems and they go to the doctor, get an MRI and find out that they have a meniscal tear. And that's always a shocker for them because they're like, how the heck did I get this? I've never had any knee pain ever. I've never done anything that could have aggravated it. And they chalk it up to to old age. They think, well, I'm in my 60s now, so I'm feeling older. I'm older than a lot of people. And um, I, I guess this is what happens to old knees. But let's talk about what really causes a meniscus tear. Now, those are just the the perceptions that people have, the stories that people give here in the clinic. But when I look at a meniscal problem, somebody somebody that's coming in and they're telling me about their, their knee problem, the way that the pain presents, you know, I have to differentiate. Is it an, more of an arthritis problem? Is it more of a meniscus problem or a, a ligament problem or some other cartilage in the knee? Because there's lots of cartilage in the knee. There's other structures too that, that could be causing knee pain. Um, certain nerves can cause knee pain. There's actually a nerve that is called the saphenous nerve. It runs on the inside of your leg and there's a massive branch off the saphenous nerve that lies right on top of the meniscus and it could mask meniscus pain for some people. So I have to be able to differentiate, you know, is this, is this a saphenous injury or a meniscus injury or is it both? And then decide how to treat that problem so that the person can get back to doing what they want to do. But in a true injured meniscus where there's a tear and, and there's problems with it, um, there, the structure of the meniscus is disrupted and a lot of these people can function without any problems. They may not even know that they have a meniscus tear. And then there's some other people that have knee pain. They go get an MRI, they get checked out, and they're told that they don't have a meniscus tear. And when we see them here in the clinic, they have knee pain, obviously. They, they may even have swelling and other problems that look a lot like a meniscus tear. Um, but what I believe they actually have is an irritated meniscus which you can't really pick up on an MRI or x-ray too well. And it's confounding for the medical field. People don't know what to do with these types of patients that have knee pain that doesn't show anything on any sort of um, uh, imaging, any sort of MRI or x-ray. So the way to think about a meniscus irritation is just think of your skin. You know, if you scratch your skin, not too hard, but hard enough to get it red, you know, where you leave a red mark, that would be skin irritation. Your skin is just kind of angry because you scratched it. But you know what? That redness will go away within a few minutes, maybe at most a few hours, maybe a day at most. Um, you know, you won't take long to recover from that and your skin will look normal again. But if you scratch yourself pretty hard and you break your skin, some blood comes out, well, you've got an injury there. And that needs to take some extra steps to heal properly. And that's going to take you some more time. So in a true injury on your skin, you've got to start the inflammation process. You've got to send certain cells to the area. Um, your blood's got a clot. You've got to eventually form a scab. Under the scab, over time, a scar will form. There's special cells that do that. That's called proliferation. And then over the course of a week or two, sometimes three, um, then the scab will fall off and you have a nice new little scar that formed to protect your skin and, and close it up. Now that's got to happen in just about every single tissue in the body. It just looks different depending on the tissue that it is. That happens on bone, that happens on, on cartilage, on ligaments, on muscle. Um, but obviously you don't see it because it's under your skin. You're, you know, whenever you look at your body, you're pretty much looking at skin everywhere. So in a meniscus, if you've got a tear, um, 
it is really, really, really slow to heal because cartilage is one of the slowest healing tissues in the body. Um, I think in the meniscus, in my opinion, from my personal experience in treating people with this this type of problem, it's the absolute second slowest, only second to discs in the spine. Um, discs in the spine can take a really long time to heal. But the good news about both discs and uh, the the meniscus inside the knee, the cartilage in the knee, is that it does heal. If you put it in the right environment, you take the proper steps, it can heal. I've seen it happen many, many, many times, and people are always super happy to reach that point. Now, the next question that you probably are wondering because you're thinking, well, do I have a meniscal problem or is it one of these other things you mentioned, arthritis, that weird saphenous nerve, um, other other types of cartilage in the knee? So let me go over the, the way that a meniscus tear feels in in individuals you know whenever we spot them here i i can i can tell you exactly how they present i categorize these people into three different types mild moderate and severe meniscus tears now in mild there might be a little bit of swelling these people tend to still be active um, they get pain not every day it's more so uh, you know a, a couple times a week and it tends to be associated when they're very active. Um, a lot of these people are younger, usually, you know, they're in their 40s, sometimes 30s. Um, and, and you see some older people with it too, the, the people that are definitely in, in better shape and haven't had any injuries, and they'll, they'll tend to get a mild meniscus injury later in life. Um, but they'll be running or playing sports, being active with family. Some of them just like to go walk their dog. And they'll push their activity a little too much, and that will set off their knee problem. And they'll come in saying, you know what, I've been walking or jogging for years, and I started to train for this event where I had to do extra, and, and then my knee started to swell up. But, you know, I gave it a day or two, the swelling went away, I felt fine again, and then I went back to do that exercise, and my knee swelled up again. And it's just concerning me because I'm getting older, and I want to be able to do this activity. I've never had a knee problem and I don't want to have to stop doing this exercise because it's keeping me in shape. That's the typical mild uh, presentation for a torn meniscus or, or it, it could even be a meniscal irritation in these people. In fact, I, you know, a lot of these people don't get MRIs. It's not that bad for them. Um, some of them barely get any attention from doctors. They'll, they might go see them for a visit and then get sent straight over to physical therapy and um, they never actually get an MRI, which is a good thing in my opinion, because you know if you've got a tear, it's it leads you down a path that may not be the nicest. So uh, ignorance might be bliss in this in this situation. Plus, they get better once they come into the clinic and get treatment, and um, they they start improving. They don't feel like they need a, a MRI or any sort of imaging because they're happy with their results. Um, one one person in particular, we had a woman in her 50s come in. She's she's ran for years and years, three, four, five times a week. She runs on a treadmill at home. Um, and she is not into competition or anything like that. She just runs for her own benefit. She does other exercises as well, some aerobics types, type of exercises. Um, and she started to have knee pain all of a sudden after running, during and after running. And then she was flared up for a week or two. Nothing that stopped her from doing what she wanted to do, but she had to think of, think twice about getting back on the treadmill because she knew that she would flare up again. Um, well, after we addressed certain things in her hips and her muscles around her legs, we even had to go up into her back and, and down into the foot as well. She got back to running and she didn't have any problems at all. Stopped the swelling. We, we got her back 100%. So that would be a... a a case of a mild meniscus injury. And um, the people that come in at that point, I think are super duper smart because they're definitely getting ahead of the problem. You you ideally don't want to wait until it's, you know, more moderate or severe. But, you know, I'm going to go into moderate and severe next. And if you find yourself in one of those categories, don't take it the wrong way. Our medical field is just crazy in which way it points you if you have a knee injury. So it's, it's, We'll talk about it. Just let's let's keep going here. So let's get into the moderate part. If you've got a moderate 
meniscal problem, you think you might have a torn meniscus, the way it's going to present is you're going to ha- you're going to definitely have swelling. You're going to definitely have limits on your activity. The problems might present daily. Um, these people t- tend to complain about going up and down stairs. Usually going downstairs is rougher than going upstairs. And they start having trouble sleeping at night because of the knee problem. They also tend to say that mornings are pretty rough. They don't like to wake up and get up out of bed in the morning because those first few steps, getting up out of bed to head over to the bathroom, the knee feels stiff. It just, it doesn't want to move well. It might pop and click a lot. And uh, it takes, you know, it takes 15 minutes, 20 minutes, some, some people closer to an hour to kind of loosen up the knee and kind of get back to normal. When it's at that point, these people typically have stopped exercising. Um, they're concerned that they're getting unhealthier, they're putting on weight, and that's feeding into the knee problem as well. And uh, a lot of times they've been seeing a doctor already. They might have had some sort of treatment that just didn't work out for them. Um, they might be using a brace or something like that. And and we'll talk about what, what to use and what not to use here in a second, but but just bear with me. So if you if you think that you've got a moderate knee meniscal tear, it, it usually is still salvageable quite a bit. You can usually get in the 90s as far as percentage percentage improvement. If we're talking, you know, uh, zero to 100 percent, these people tend to get 95 percent better, 97 percent better. They tend to do really, really well. They might just have some very mild limitations that they might not even worry about. Most importantly, they don't need to have a surgery or some sort of invasive procedure and they can stay healthy the rest of their lives. Now let's talk about a severe meniscal tear. Now these people will have all the symptoms of the moderate meniscal tear, the ones I just covered. Their swelling will tend to be constant. Of course, going up and down stairs is a nightmare for them. They avoid it at all costs. Some of these people, I've, I've had people come in and say, I sold my two-story house because I could not go upstairs anymore. And um, I live in a one-story house now and I avoid stairs at all costs. I always use the elevator or the escalator. These people tend to walk with a limp. Um, you know, they, they, They've changed their walking pattern over time. Some of them will use a, a cane. You know, they, they tend to be older. This has happened over time. Um, one of the classic symptoms that a severe meniscal tear will have is joint locking. Now, what this looks like is they'll, their knee will get stuck. So they'll, they'll sit down or, or go to get up. And of course, you have to bend your knee during that process. And when they're about to transition either into sitting down or getting up, their, their knee will, will get stuck. So if they're sitting down, their knee won't want to bend all the way. You know, most people, when they sit in, a say, a kitchen chair, your knee will bend about to 90 degrees and it'll get stuck at 20 degrees or 30 degrees and they feel like they can't bend it to 90 degrees. It's painful and, and it just feels stuck or locked. And usually they can shake it a certain way, kind of wiggle it around, and then it'll, it'll make a noise. It'll, it'll pop and unlock and then they can bend their knee just fine. And then the opposite will happen when they stand up. They'll, they'll go to stand up and their knee will kind of stay bent. They usually have trouble balancing once they stand up and they shake their leg around and move it around and then it'll pop and then it'll go straight and they can walk normal again with, and by normal, I mean, you know, they're, they're normal, which is painful and with, with a lamp and with swelling and all that. And the thought behind this is that there's a flap of the meniscus that's impeding motion within the joint. And that's why these people can kind of shake it loose and twist and turn their knee and, and it'll move better. Um, but if it's that bad, you've, you've got a severe meniscal problem more than likely. Now, the way that the meniscus will feel in most people as far as um, pain is they, they tend to have pain on the inside of their knee. So if you reach down and you feel your kneecap and, and then slide your hand towards the inside of your knee, there's, there's usually some bumpy spots there, you know, depending on how much tissue you've cut. Um, and that's where it tends to hurt for people. Some people do have pain on the outside of the knee as well. And some people report pain on the back of their knee. Um, there's something called a, um, 
Baker's cyst that can develop on the back of the knee. And when you hear the word cyst, people, I, I think the mind picture that most people get is like a bubble that needs to be taken out or drained. And um, the way I think of this is the joint is just very swollen inside the knee. There's there's an active inflammation process happening and extra fluid is being developed to deal with it. Um, sometimes uh, I think the body is trying to build some cushion inside the knee as well. So it's generating fluid. And it's a genetic thing, in my opinion. I think some people are just predisposed to react that way to different types of knee injuries, including a meniscal tear. So that Baker cyst, though, is a problem because they'll have trouble bending their knee and it's unsightly for some people. If they get really big, they, they just get really concerned with it. Um, but the, the knee problem needs to be addressed. The meniscus problem needs to be addressed. And usually the Baker cyst will, will reduce or become less of an issue. Um, the medial meniscus, the inside knee meniscus, is the one that tends to get affected more often. Um, but you do see the lateral meniscus problem happen to a lot of people as well. And there's ways to test both here in the clinic. Um, but regardless of which one is affected, um, there's the treatment options are, are typically the same. And, and we're going to go into all that here in a second. Um, but what you'll see with a meniscus problem is there's usually other knee problems happening at the same time. So you'll typically see some knee arthritis developing. It's called osteoarthritis. There's usually some cartilage problems in the back of the kneecap, on the front of the femur, the thigh bone. Um, and uh, there could be some ligament problems as well. There's, there's some major ligaments inside the knee. Um, I'll just go over them real quick. One, the, the, the top four are called the ACL, PCL, MCL, and LCL. And these are structures that connect the, the bones to each other and hold the bones together. Um, so these four ligaments, their job is to make sure that the thigh bone stays attached to the shin bone. And um, if they get elongated or torn, then that can cause stability problems in the knee. So the, the connection between the two bones will, won't be as stable as it should be, which can cause the meniscus to get irritated because uh, the meniscus will take some weird forces. Now, let's talk about what happens to an untreated meniscus tear. Uh, we got lots of clients coming in here. Of course, they're getting treatment and some of them delay a long time on getting treatment and the symptoms kind of worsen. And then we have the ones like, like I was telling you about earlier where they, they come in when it's mild and they haven't had any major limitations yet and they haven't had a chance for all this other stuff to develop. Um, but what tends to happen in people with, with uh, an untreated meniscus tear is, of course, the meniscus problem gets worse over time. They move from mild to moderate to severe. And with all the, the problems that develop, they'll, they'll progress through arthritis way faster than normal. So... About arthritis, arthritis is is happening in everybody constantly. Think of it as aging, just like you get gray hairs and wrinkles on the outside of your body. The thought process with our with osteoarthritis is that you get it on the inside of your body as well, and you, you age on the inside of your body as well, and it looks like osteoarthritis. So the the joints change a bit. You might get different little structural changes in other tissues as well. Um, and for some people, they start developing small bone spurs. They start developing, um, their, their cartilage might thin out. Uh, they get spots on their cartilage. The, the joint surfaces look uneven. And it might not actually be painful at all. So in older people, I think the, I'll have to dig up the research again, but it's in the 90s. I think once you're over 80 years old, it's like 93% chance that you're going to have some sort of arthritic change or disc herniation in your back. Um, I haven't seen the research on knees, but um, it, the rates go up. Of course, when you're younger, you, you still have a chance of having all that stuff happen, but it is painless in a lot of people. But if you've got a meniscus tear and you're, you've got other issues on top of that, like a loose ligament or cartilage issues in the kneecap, and you've been moving inappropriately for a while or you haven't been exercising like you probably should be because this knee problem is slowing you down, 
um, then it's going to allow for a faster progression of arthritis. And just think of it like your overall health. You know, if you don't take care of your health, well, you're you're going to probably not live as long as somebody who does take care of their health. Your joints are the same way. If you don't take care of your joints, they're not going to last as long as if you do take care of them. So people with meniscus problems in their knee, they tend to eventually develop hip problems. They can develop hip arthritis. They can get pain in the hip joint itself or around the hip joint. They'll also get lower back problems. A lot of times they get ankle and foot issues as well. The The foot changes, the, the, the strength in their foot is usually affected and that can cause toe problems like hammer toes, bunions, other issues with the foot that, that can be prevented, loss of arches. In people that leave this untreated for a long, long time, a meniscus problem, and then it the arthritis gets out of hand, they'll eventually likely get a knee replacement because the knee problem will continue to get worse. Of course, once they have that locking and like you get in severe uh, in a severe meniscal tear, that completely changes knee mechanics. People really slow down. They don't want to move as much because of the, of the locking and that makes the arthritis progress way faster. And if years go by, decades go by, then it's just a matter of time before they start getting told by their doctor that they need a knee replacement. And um, you know what, if it's that bad, if they've, if they've had joint locking for a long time and, and their knee doesn't even move, have all the, the motion that it's supposed to have, a knee replacement's a fantastic option for those people. The only concern I have is, is how are you gonna move after that? You gotta make sure you take care of your, of your leg health and get your activity back so that you can keep your body healthy and make sure you don't have to have another knee replacement in a matter of time. Now, we're heading into the final part of this podcast here. We're going to talk about what treatment options there are for a meniscus tear. And we'll go through the entire list of things that I see people do. And um, I'll, probably all the options that you're thinking of as well. I'm happy to entertain more if you leave us a comment on this podcast or get in touch with us and um, let us know what, what other options are out there. I want to get a comprehensive list going. Um, so prior to getting any sort of medical treatment, we often see people trying home remedies. The top things that people try is, the easiest one is just giving it time. So they just rest it. They avoid moving a whole lot. They'll avoid walking more than they need to just to kind of rest their knee. And this is a very short-term solution because if you, especially if you've got an irritated meniscus, it's going to feel better with time. It absolutely will usually feel better because the you're, you're not standing on it. You're not putting weight through it. You're not using the, the meniscus like it's supposed to. So it has a chance to heal. The problem is if you if you haven't fixed the underlying problems that got you the meniscus tear or the meniscus problem in the first place, as soon as you get up to move again and, and you get active again because you're feeling better, you're going to flare up again. We see people do that all the time. They'll, that's why they have the off and on symptoms where they say, well, sometimes it flares up and then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I'm okay. And then, and then another two or three months after that, it flares up again and then it goes away and then it flares up and it goes away. And eventually after going through this cycle enough times, the pain gets worse and it stays more constant or the you don't you don't get as much relief from the rest because the original root problem hasn't been addressed. The other things people will try at home will be over the counter medications, you know, stuff like ibuprofen and um Tylenol, naproxen, there's a bunch of different medications you can get at the pharmacy over the counter. Um a lot of people try the anti-inflammatory medications. And uh, the idea is to reduce the inflammation in the meniscus so that it can help with healing and, and it's a pain reliever as well. This is good for most people in the short term. They do get some relief, but after a while, the drugs can become dangerous and this is not a good long-term solution. Ibuprofen is known to affect the lining of stomachs instantly and uh, for most people can tolerate it pretty well, but... I think the cutoff is six to eight weeks. If you're if you're using ibuprofen consistently around the clock, after six to eight weeks, the the rate of people having 
major stomach problems where they get a hole in their stomach lining that spikes tremendously, which can lead to internal bleeding, which for a lot of people, they they need to go to the hospital for that. And in some severe cases, there there's deaths that occur, especially in older populations, which is the people that tend to get these knee problems anyway. So if you're at home right now and you've been taking ibuprofen for a while, I strongly suggest you find an alternative or take a break or talk to your doctor about it and see what, what other options you have. And make sure you start to build a long-term plan to treat this meniscal problem because over-the-counter pain medication is not a long-term plan. Other things that people try are pain creams. You know, you've got your Bengay, Icy Hot, um, BioFreeze. They'll, they'll rub that stuff all over their knee. And that tends to work pretty well in the short term as well. It's a pain reliever. It's not fixing the root problem, which we'll talk about the root problems here in a second. Um, the other, the, the last most common thing that we see is people try knee braces. They'll, they'll go to the store and buy a sleeve that slides over their foot and ankle and, and comes all the way up to their knee. These, these sleeves usually have a little opening for the kneecap to kind of tell you where to line it up and leave some space for the kneecap. Um, and then some of these braces will be a little more heavy duty where they've got metal brackets that are on the inside and the outside of the knee. And um, a lot of people report that they have relief with these knee braces. And I, and I think that's cool. If you're at home, if you haven't tried a knee brace yet, and you're looking at trying to just get some relief, go for the knee brace. That's definitely a way to get off the pain medication if, you're, if you've been using pain medication for a long time. It still, though, is not going to solve the long-term problem. But I love the knee brace because it's a non, it's not that dangerous for you to use. It's a safe way to get some instant relief. And most people report a little less swelling. They can sleep a little better at night. But it only lasts so long because the problem with knee braces is they tend to make your muscles weaker. They tend, it, your, your body's smart. It, it can sense the stability coming from the outside. And so the muscles will get lazy and you start to atrophy or lose muscle over time. So a knee brace is just a short-term solution. You've got to figure out a way to eventually not have to rely on the knee brace. The other thing about knee braces is their main job, especially the heavy-duty ones, the ones with the brackets, their main job is to stabilize the knee. And if you don't have a ligament problem, then it's not going to make a huge difference for your meniscus problem. And, and you might need to get that checked out by an expert to know if you've got more of a ligament problem or meniscus problem or, you know, how, how the two interplay with each other and, and get proper advice on how to use the, the knee brace. Because what, what I see a lot of people do that come in wearing knee braces is I, I ask them this question. I say, well, who gave you the knee brace first of all? Was it just on your own that you got that or did somebody recommend that you use one? Was it a medical professional? Um, and then what's your long-term plan for this knee brace? Because, you know, if, if you're in your 50s or 60s wearing a knee brace right now, I would not want you to be wearing a knee brace into your 70s and 80s or beyond. You eventually need to get out of that thing, but you need to have a plan. The The last step in your plan cannot be, I'm going to be in this knee brace the rest of my life. Those knee braces are uncomfortable. They slide down. They get stinky. You have to wash those things every day probably, especially in the summertime. Um, and they just don't allow for normal movement. So I, ideally you want to be without the knee brace as soon as possible, but you've got to get to a point where you can wean yourself off and be able to do your everyday functions without a knee brace. Okay, let's talk pain medications. Prescription strength pain medications. So Let's say you've gone to the doctor for this knee problem. They'll usually recommend some sort of prescription strength pain medication. There's a ton of different types out there. It depends on which doctor you see, what their specialty is, what their background. Um, they'll recommend all kinds of pain medications. And um, these are all short-sighted for the most part. They're just doing their best to help you out with the pain that you're dealing with right now. Um, understand that medications do not make your muscles stronger. They do not make your cartilage healthier or your ligaments healthier or your meniscus healthier as far as the actual structure. In fact, a lot of these anti-inflammatory medications, they're stopping the first stage in healing. Inflammation is actually a normal thing. That's why our bodies do it. It's the very first 
stage in healing and it needs to occur in order for proper healing to happen. So if you're relying on anti-inflammatory medications, um, like some doctors will prescribe a, a steroid pack, which limits inflammation. It's an anti-inflammatory medication. Um, it is stopping the healing process in your entire body. And, and that's why they can't give you too much of it because they know the, the long-term effects of it. But it may, it may provide you some quick relief, which most people are looking for that are visiting the doctor. And that might be a good thing for you, especially if you need to just kind of get through the week or get through the month. Or you don't want to be mean or grumpy with people because of your knee problem, because that tends to happen. And um, you just want to be able to sleep at night. You're losing a lot of sleep. There's there's um, definitely some benefits to using some some high power pain medications, but they cannot be your long term solution. You cannot rely on those for the long term. You're only going to get worse in your meniscus problem. The next way the doctors will help out with medications is they'll give you injected medication. So the most common injection that people get is a cortisone injection into the knee. Sometimes they'll do two or three all at once. Um, it just depends on on the doctor and, and how they do it. Um, and that is pain medication injected directly into the joint space or the space where the meniscus is. And they tend to be pretty effective in reducing pain. A lot of people have the sensation where they feel instantly better. You know, after after the injection site heals, maybe a day or two, they might they might need a, a few days to just recover from the injection. And then they feel massive relief. They feel like they can walk again, be active again, do all the things that they want to do. But you have to keep in mind if you if you just got an injection or or you've had one not not too long ago, you're gonna go get one soon. You have to keep in mind that it is not healing your meniscus. In fact, it's preventing your meniscus from healing. It's just masking the pain. And you have got to make a plan to fix this meniscus for the long term so that you're not relying on injections for the long term or other pain medications. Now, they'll limit you on how many injections you can get per year, especially these cortisone injections, because the doctors are very aware of the research. Insurance companies are very aware of the research. And if you get more than three or four per year, I think that's usually the limit. And, you know, I'm not a physician. I'm a physical therapist. So... I, if, if I'm off, if you're, if you're in the medical field or you know about all these limitations and you're like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, you're probably right over me. I don't keep up with that part of the medical field as well. I keep up with my specialty very well. I'm, I'm giving you the information that I hear from doctors and what I got uh, going through school and what I, what I keep up with here, here and there. The laws change, the best practices change over time, and, um, and that's completely normal. But what I hear clients saying is, uh, they limited me to three. They limited me to four. And and I'm like, good, you shouldn't get more than that because it's going to mess up your meniscus in the long term or other, other similar structures. So you cannot rely on those cortisone injections. Other things that people will get injected is um, PRP. That stands for platelet-rich plasma. This is newer. This is part of the, um, the newer, uh, I think they call it functional medicine or it's non-medicinal and it's uh, it's supposed to be the natural stuff that they inject in you. P- platelet-rich plasma, they, they have to take some blood from you. They put it in a centrifuge, one of those things that spins really fast. And they pull out the the plasma from your blood and they and it's got tons of platelets in it, which is a, a, a some of certain structures that are in your blood. And they inject that into your knee and the idea is that it, it helps your knee cartilage heal faster. And um, I've seen mixed results with people getting these. I've, I've heard some people say that it definitely helped out their pain. And then other people say it didn't do a darn thing. The other thing that people get injected, and it's, this is less popular, but it's kind of up and coming, is stem cells. And, um, you know, you might have done some research because maybe you've got a meniscus tear. You've known, you've known it for a while. You had an MRI a while back. And maybe you've been dodging surgeons because they've been wanting to do an operation on you and you're thinking of alternative solutions and I'm sure stem cells has probably crossed your mind once or twice. Um, It's still controversial. The source of where they get the stem cells is very controversial. I won't go into that. Um, And even the, the efficacy or the, it's likelihood to be helpful for you is mixed. Now, I have had some clients that, that said that they had stem cells injected and said that it made a big difference. And I've had others that said they had it injected and said 
minor difference or no difference. So um, it's so new that we don't know we don't know much about it right now. There isn't much research. Not many people are doing it, and um, that, that that's all we know about it right now. What I can tell you regarding all these injections is they're not fixing the strength of the muscles, which usually needs to be addressed. They're not dealing with the joint mobility, how, how well the joint moves, the quality of motion, the way that you move overall, the way that you walk and move. That's, that's something we fix here in physical therapy, which I'll talk more about in a second. There's still a lot of root problems that are not being addressed with these injections. And I think that's why people get mixed results is because they get some relief instantly, but they continue to be weak and continue to not move well. And that sets them up to have the pain return. And it's not a, it's not a good long-term problem. I'm sorry. It's not a good long-term solution to the problem. Okay. Two more things. We're going to talk surgery next. A lot of people get a surgery to fix their meniscus. They will do a meniscectomy often, a partial meniscectomy, which means that they take out a piece of the meniscus, usually a flap or a torn chunk. And the idea is that that tissue is not going to heal. And so they cut it out and get it out of the way because the assumption is that that's what's causing the pain. But what we know about the meniscus as far as its ability to generate pain, the outer edges, edges of the meniscus where tears are less likely to happen, the outer edges are where you have the most nerve endings and where it's likely to be more painful. The inner edges are where you have much fewer nerve endings and that's where the tears tend to happen. So it's a little controversial right now. It's becoming more controversial doing these partial meniscectomies because um, there's actually a few studies coming out of England. In England, they've got a national healthcare system, so it's run by the government. It's socialistic, um, versus you know here in the U.S. it's capitalistic, so it's not run by the government. Um, but the as a result of them being of England being a national healthcare system, the government is very into figuring out you know what works and what doesn't because they want to save costs. Um, so what they're what they're doing is something called placebo partial meniscectomies. So what is happening is they're getting people that have known meniscal injuries, they, they, they get them through MRIs, they, they get their MRIs done and they find the meniscal tears. And they're putting them into these studies where they split them in half. So they, there's half, half the group goes into where they get normal surgery done, their, their normal partial meniscectomy done. And then the other group goes into the placebo partial meniscectomy. Both groups have surgeries, and and it, I, there's interesting words in the studies. They say that they even move the knee the same way in the placebo. They they have the same tools. They they put them under anesthesia. The same people are there. They take the same amount of time. They're trying to account for every variable possible um, to make it exactly like a normal surgery. Um, but the one difference is that they do not actually cut the chunk of the meniscus out that they were looking at cutting out. So they leave, they leave the torn meniscus alone. Then they close them all up. And after the course of six months up to a year, what they found was that there was no difference in improvement between both groups. So both groups improved a bit, but not one group improved more than the other. So now they're thinking, well, is this meniscus surgery even doing anything? Now they haven't done studies like that in the U.S., but I think it, it'll be interesting if they ever do. Um, and for those people that have meniscus surgeries, what I would consider is, you know, is this surgery even needed? Is that, is that the best place to go? You open yourself up to a bunch of risks, possibly, if you ever have a surgery. You know, there's, <clears throat> there's a chance for infection. Um, you know, you've got all, all kinds of risks. And, and for some people, it is the best thing. You know, I'll even tell some clients that, this, this is pretty bad. I, I can't help you with this. You need to go talk to a surgeon and, and I'll be straightforward and honest. Um, but for a lot of cases coming in, a lot of people with knee meniscus problems, I'd say, you know, nine out of 10, um, what I'll tell them is I can help you out. And if it's real severe, I'll say, well, let's give it a month with treatment. And if you're improving some, maybe you'll be happy with that level of improvement. We'll, we'll have a good idea for how much you can improve 
because you might be okay with getting 70% better if that's your, your max, because at least you can walk around and do your normal things and a hundred percent improvement may not be realistic for you. Even if you had a surgery, who knows? Now, if you are out there and you've already had a, a meniscectomy, a partial meniscectomy, and it didn't improve, and you're, you're one of those cases, unfortunately, um, or if you're thinking about getting a, a meniscus surgery, or you're just learning about this for the first time, and you didn't even know there was a meniscus surgery out there, um, let me tell you about the outcomes of this. So a lot of people will improve, they get better, but then over time, they tend to regress, they get worse again. And what we know for sure in the research is people that get meniscus surgeries are more likely to have osteoarthritis develop quicker in their knee. And I think it's for obvious reasons. There's a chunk of your meniscus missing, so the knee joint just doesn't move normally again, and it's going to age faster. Um, so it's it's really a short-term solution, in my opinion, to get a knee surgery. It might be the best decision for you, depending on your situation. You have to weigh all those problems with you, all those all those risks, all the factors to make the best decision moving forward. Um, but what the surgery is not fixing, let's talk about that next, is your strength, your joint mobility, your the way that you move, the the how you sit, how you stand. There's a lot of things that we look at here in physical therapy. Here at the clinic, we go into extreme detail about what you're doing that led up to this meniscus injury because that's the question that needs to be answered. If we can fix the problems that led up to this meniscus injury, then you have an excellent shot at recovering for the long term. Even if you've had a surgery, you're going to have a surgery um, it allows you to, to stop using the pain medications, avoid having to get injections, and stop having to worry about your knee all the time. You can get your sleep back. You can be able to go up and down steps just fine. I'll tell you a story. We recently had a woman who came in for her hip. She actually had a, a hip surgery that didn't go too well, but was having knee problems, and it looked like a moderate meniscus injury. Uh, well, in figuring out what was going on with her hip and what we found in her was that her glute muscles are very weak. She just was not using them well. And it's counterintuitive because she's got a big butt, so you would think she's got lots of glute muscle. And she has some pretty good strength, but she just wasn't using it well. And it, the strength that she had wasn't enough for the activities that she was doing. She was on her feet quite a bit, walking around every day for her job. So she doesn't have adequate strength to do what she needs to be doing throughout the day. And then she also isn't walking the best. So we had to figure out how to teach her. We we taught her how to walk better. We had to figure out the problems there. We taught her how to strengthen her glutes better um, and how to progress and to what level to progress to. And it's been amazing to see the benefits over we're five weeks into her treatment. Now this week's upcoming is a sixth visit and um, she's already sleeping better. She's walking much better. She stopped relying on insoles. She used to get insoles all the time. Um, she feels like she doesn't need them anymore. The number one thing that we talked about recently, though, was she's got a two-story home, and she was saying that she has to grab the rails to pull herself up with her arms to take weight off her legs, her hip, and her knees because it was hurting so much. That was at the first visit that I saw her. She flies up those steps now and can go down the steps with little to no pain, and she's still got tons of improvement to make. This woman is set on getting back into the gym and doing the treadmill, being able to jog, being able to lift weights. And I think she's going to be very capable of doing it. We've just got to go a little farther in her progress to get to that, that level. Um, so that's the root problem that we're fixing in her. We have got to find out where you're weak, where you're strong. There's usually something called a muscle imbalance happening. So muscles on one side of the body will be relatively strong. And on the other side of the body, they'll be relatively weak. And that's stuff you can't pick up on an MRI. You can't see that on an x-ray. Physicians aren't trained to, to fix that or, or even identify it. I think some doctors will kind of have an idea of, of that happening, but they're not sure what to do with it because their specialty is medications, surgery, injections, those kinds of things. And that's cool. You need that sometimes. Um, but if you're, if you're looking at fixing your movement, your strength, getting that long-term 
natural cure because you take that with you. You know, you can only get medication for so long and injections and you you ideally don't want to have more than one surgery if you're going to get one. You don't want to be going back for surgery all the time. Doctors won't even let you do that. Um, you want to have fixes that you're that you've got control over. And that's what we teach here. It's heavy in education. We teach you what to do and how to do it and when to ramp it up or when to ramp it down, how to read your body, how to know what's normal and what's not normal as far as sensations and what you should be doing. And, um, and, and, and we coach people through that process so that they can get to the point where they feel super confident that they're doing the right things and that it's only helping their knee and not harming their knee. So there you go, guys. We talked about everything there is about meniscal problems. Uh, we covered what it is, what what the meniscus is itself, how does the meniscus tear, what does it feel like to have a meniscal injury. We went over the mild, moderate, and severe um, levels of meniscal tears and what happens to an untreated meniscal tear. Of course, more issues are going to happen up in the hip, down in the foot. And then also the treatment options. Um, we, we covered everything from people from what people try at home and then what you can get done using the medical field and what's going to help you for the short term and what's going to help you for the long term. So I hope this podcast was helpful for you. Um, if you know of somebody that's got a meniscal injury, um, please share this with them. I, I want everybody to have the best information possible so that they can make the best decision about their own health moving forward. Um, and, um, I hope you have a wonderful day. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the stay healthy El Paso podcast brought to you by El Paso manual physical therapy, where we help El Pasoans get away from taking pain medications, avoid getting injections, avoid surgery, and keeping up an active lifestyle. If you'd like to learn more about what El Paso manual physical therapy can do for you, call 915-503-1314 or visit our website at epmanualphysicaltherapy.com. Mention this podcast for a free discovery visit valued at $100. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes and follow the show on your favorite listening platform so you won't miss an upcoming episode. Tune in next time to get the best health tips from experts in the El Paso area.